Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. I'm on Facebook. I love the smell of night come in the morning. This is where the fun begins. CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thanks for making us part of your day. You can always text us at 936-6262. It's our text line powered by Capital Ford Lincoln. Not just about sports or what you want to talk about there. But also road conditions. Give us a shout-out, and we will pass it along. Try to get everybody home safely. It's not too bad right now, but we're supposed to get some more snow and wind uh, into the evening hours. Uh, This show is brought to you by our good friends over there at uh, Andrew Sherrod Limited, providing... Um, hold on here. Providing uh, plumbing, HVAC, and irrigation supplies across Western Canada since 1892. Learn more at Sherrod.com. My operator is Colson Schultz. Thanks to him for sitting in the chair. Good news. We've got not that Colson isn't a good guy, not that Nick wasn't a good guy, not that Blaine Wyland isn't a good guy, but we got Singer back in the chair tomorrow. The, the real producer. Are you happy that he's back? Oh yeah, I'm so glad. You've done a good job, though. I, I I actually didn't realize you're such a you're mild mannered. You don't you're not overly uh, boisterous, which is good because I pick up the slack for both of us. Yeah. But you um you are a sports guy. Like you get sports. I like I that. Do. Yeah, I yeah. love my sports. Good yeah. man. Did you watch Vanier Cup? Our own Perry Nice's kid Mason was quarterback in the Huskies. Yeah, I know. I I kept track of it. I yeah. was I was working. Working, yeah. It, you got yeah. like eight jobs. Three hundred and forty-four <laughs> yards passing and three touchdowns. The interception that uh, was taken away by Laval went off his receiver's hands. It was a great game. Laval comes up big. Kevin Mattel shows why he was uh, picked as the Heck Crichton Trophy winner. And let's start there. We're a little behind schedule because we had a bit of technical difficulties, but we will get back on schedule here. Let's head out on the west. Pizza Hotline and talk with the president of U Sports, Pierre Arsenal. Thanks for taking my call, Pierre. I appreciate it. Hi, Michael. Great to be with you tonight. Nice to be with you too, man. Okay, so first off, let's uh, talk about some positivity here. I thought that was a great display of Canadian University football. Came right down to the wire. Yeah, no, thanks for saying that. And and, and uh, we had a couple of, you know, really good uh, competitive weeks of football. Both bowl games were uh, really good, entertaining games. And then uh, I think Laval and Saskatchewan uh, showed for sure why why uh, they belonged in that game. And, and right from the get-go, what was fun about it was it was, you know, they, they all, both offenses played great. And, and so there was lots of playmaking and, and uh, it was entertaining right to the end. We've got a big country and it's been out east a lot lately. And that's, I mean, I don't know how this works, so maybe you can fill us in. Uh, you know, Laval had a bit of an advantage with regards to travel. U of S could have stayed out there, but, uh, but they elected because of what they went through last year. They thought they'd go back home and then the Huskies would fly back. I think if they were to do it all over again, they'd probably stay out there. Where I'm going with this, Pierre, is what, how does it work with regards to getting the game, like hosting the game? And might we see an appetite to move it out west once in a while? 
Yeah, so so we go through uh, like like all of our championships. We go through a bid process where we invite uh, expressions of interest from uh, schools, communities, and and uh, and we would go through. So actually, we're and and ultimately, if things are moving well, uh, you get out in front of that a couple of years. And and through the pandemic, through some possible discussions around, you know, could you line up the schedule with CFL again, things like that. Um, we, we kind of had been going a, a year at a time with, with the Vanier, but uh, we are going out right away in the next 10 days to look at 2023, see where there's interest, and then, and then 2024 as well, where we would try and get a couple of years locked in. And we, I mean, to answer your question, we, we, uh, we would love to see it in, in, in markets out west. I mean, there's been discussion about would it be Regina at some point, would it be Saskatoon? Uh, the, the uh, um, one, you know, it was a, it was a great uh, build up and event at, at London. And, and one of the things that that showed is that, you know, a, a stadium of that size, a community of that size can, can really be a wonderful home for the event. So, um, we're going to work with our members here in the next little bit, and uh, yeah, we'd love an opportunity for it to go away. So, you know, it is the sport in uh, out of you sports, and I'm not saying that's why people go to school to become professional players, but of all the sports at the U sports level, that is the one that would draw the most attention to your respective schools because those guys go to play pro football, mostly to the CFL, but in some cases to the NFL. Uh, so, here's my thing. I'm watching this game on CBC, and I thought they did a pretty a good job of the coverage, uh, graphics, all that stuff, a real credibility with Mark Lee on the call, Pierre. And this is a publicly funded network. Now, this is nothing to do with you, but is there a chance maybe we could get a, why can't I have a, a, a game of the week on U Sports? Doesn't have to be Can West. Why can't there be a U Sports game of the week? I can watch World Trampolining. Why can't I see a, a U Sports game of the week? Yeah, I, I, you know, this is, I'm, I'm aligned with your thinking on that, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, last, last weekend, Saturday's game was a great example of how entertainment and how entertaining the product can be, and just how good our student athletes are. And, 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 uh, and you're, you know, I mean, the, the, the player of the game, the most outstanding player of the game uh, in the, in the Great Cup last week was a, is a new sports player played at St. Avax. And, and so, it, it, yeah, we, we, we are, building the CBC has been, been actually really a good partner across um, all of our championships and football has been a piece of it. And, and I, I agree with you. I appreciate you saying that. I thought they did a good job in the weekend and we're trying to, I mean, you're still trying to navigate what the digital footprint in these, is these days and what it means to be on digital streaming versus linear TV. But um, we love the idea of, of a game of the week and trying to build, even if it was a four or six weeks building into the playoffs as a starting point so that there's a storyline that people get excited about building into what, what, you know, what was a great, a, a great uh, band aid cup at the end of it all. I want to make two points here. Uh, I had gone back and forth with you with regards to the Heck Crichton and my displeasure and everything like that, and I asked you to find me somebody to talk about this. And you said you would go do it, and you ended up being the guy. So I'm going to say right off the get-go, that shows leadership, and I appreciate you being on here and graciously taking my questions, because I'm not going to lie to you. I'm still kind of a a little bit upset, but I'm glad you're on here, so I do want to say that. Second thing I want to say is I respect all student-athletes. I have a son that going through it right now down south uh, regardless if you're down south or up here in Canada these kids these guys these girls whatever sport they put a lot of time and effort into it so I respect all the athletes so kudos to Kevin 
Mattel for what he did. He showed he showed in the game he's a great athlete and worthy of the heck Crichton. But as a commissioner who has nothing to do with the voting, you're not in charge of this. Do you not find it interesting that a guy who has way better stats, like it's not even close in the regular season, isn't your your Heck Crichton Trophy winner? Like one guy averaged 340 yards passing a game. One other guy didn't have 100 yards receiving. Now, he did have 12 touchdowns, which is great for a receiver. I'll admit that. But the other guy... The other guy had 18 touchdowns and three interceptions. I don't understand how that guy isn't considered your best player. Do you not find that interesting, sitting in the big chair? Well, I mean, what I, what I would say, first of all, is, is I, I had the good fortune of the last two weeks. I was at the Utah Bowl and then I was at the Bay and So I watched Mason Nias directly, uh, you know, out close and personal the last two weeks. And I, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's a very impressive young man. I had the chance just very, very quickly to, to meet him. He seems like modest, hardworking, and and, uh, and Coach Flory and, and, and the entire Saskatchewan program and Shannon Chin with, Chief uh, Athletic Officer, they, they, they built something really, really good and sustainable and very impressive and, and tons to be proud of. And, and, and we're very proud and fortunate of, of, of their story because it, it, it strengthens our football story. And, you know, and then you get in, when, whenever you're going through these award processes, it's funny, you're doing this great thing to celebrate accomplishment. And almost always there's, there's a part of it coming out the other side where you're dealing with the hard emotions of, um, because we had to pick a winner, it seems to, um, in a way, be almost dismissive of, of, of accomplishments of, of other student athletes or, 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 you know, other pieces. And so, yeah, I, I don't, I, I, for sure, I think that, that Mason is very impressive, had a wonderful season. I, my understanding through the process is that the voting was very close for the high grade, um, which, again, is a testament to all the, the nominees. And, and then, you know, they go through looking at stats, they go through uh, video submissions and, and uh um, you know, I, I, I think as we saw on Saturday, Natal, and, and you said it, and I appreciate you saying that, like, no, not, don't take anything away from him. I mean, he's pretty legitimate. And, and uh, um, But I, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm easy to jump on with celebrating how, how good that season was, for sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I just want to ask, who, like, who, do they have an independent committee that votes on things like this or the first team, the first team all-star? Because, listen, you're not... You guys aren't in a silo when it comes to this. We just went through this at the CFL level where Mario Alford is the outstanding special teams player in the CFL at Grey Cup Week, he's announced, but yet he's not a West All-Star. It makes a guy scratch his head, and it leads to conspiracy theories. When you have the guy who is up for the heck Crichton, your only quarterback up for the heck Crichton, but he's not a first-team All-Star quarterback... I would be like, who's voting on this? And are there two different committees? And can they not put their heads together? To kind of, it just it it, it kind of reeks like what is going on here. That's how I look at it. No, I, I appreciate that, and so I'll just quickly walk through the process, and we can talk yeah, about sure. the emotion as well. Like that. So, so the the selections are done by a committee of eight. There's two reps from each of the four conferences, and and the reps ultimately come from coaches from our 27 member institutions. So every conference is represented by two coaches um, from their conference that go and do the voting. The voting processes are different for each of the awards. And so the four Huck Crichton nominees are the four 
conference all-stars in each of the four conferences. Um, and they would go through a process and choose the winner there. Then they would go through a second process where you have the list of nominees for the All-Canadians and, and, um, and they would make their decision. Now, I, I, it totally makes sense where you're coming from. And, and I would say that that often travels together, that if you're a Heck Crichton nominee, you're probably going to find yourself certainly as an All-Canadian, which Mason was, um, but often as first team at your position. Um, you know, in this instance, the two, the two All-Canadian quarterbacks, like Val quarterback and, and Saskatchewan quarterback, and one threw for 340 yards on Saturday, and the other threw, I think, for 390. So they, 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 they certainly showed that they, they, they both are the, belong and are the right choices. And, and you know, I, 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 we, we've gone through different iterations because every sport has its own voting process that is some version of similar, and you've gone through different iterations where you can say, well, the, the player of the year nominees have to be first team all Canadians, but you know, then, then you can get into the debate where someone says, well, you know, it's possible that you are deemed to be the most valuable to your team, but you're not deemed to be the absolute best at your position uh, when it's just a pure discussion about your position. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I again, I, I think you're, 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 you're talking about a choice amongst two really good choices and a whole bunch of really good choices across all these positions. And, and uh, I, Greatly, I, I freely accept the debate about whether or not that this is, you know, whether or not people agree or disagree. Yeah, no, and any talk about uh, something that doesn't get talked about enough, in my opinion, is the way to go. I mean, I, I'm passionate about it, and I'm asking questions because I, uh, I actually care about youth sports, and I don't know that we have enough people on board caring about youth sports. Henceforth, people are now just getting on the Mason Nias train, something we've been talking about around here for eight years. Now everybody's getting on it because it's kind of like the, the flavor of the month my question to you is this okay you know would there be a way to get an independent committee to look at something like this going forward because the narrative always changes like a few years ago it was you know chris merchant got it uh, he wasn't even the best quarterback stats wise in his conference whereas adam mackard had a unbelievable listen i have no dog in the fight in fact i'm a pierre i'm a rams guy i'm not even a husky guy but yeah. M- mackard had a record setting year he was lights out never had a fumble average eight yards a carry and they gave it to merchant and merchant wasn't even the best quarterback in his conference and what i heard then from a lot of people is well it was a it's a career award, you know. It's a career accomplishment. It's a okay. So if that's the case, uh, like where I'm going with this, shouldn't we have an independent committee? Shouldn't we have a set guideline of criteria? I don't care who the best pro prospect is. It's who's the best player that year, right there. That's what I say because it's the the, the goalpost always seems to move, and that's where it gets frustrating for me. Yeah, I, I, I mean, so I, I would start with what you said a second ago, which is, is like, I, I'm, I think it's a really good thing for our product and for, for you sports that people are debating this because it means you do care about it. And even though sometimes the conversation is a little bit uncomfortable for us, it, it's a really positive thing. So I, I, I really appreciate that, that you are telling the story of you sports and that you are um, challenging and talking about this. I mean, it's, it's, it's good for, for our game and for our student athletes. Um, I, I think for sure, I, I, I feel, I, my, I mean, personally, I feel good about the fact that the Heck Creighton process and our, and our player of the year process is respect. Uh, it starts by respecting who the player of the year in each conference was and mm-hmm. was chosen. And, and therefore, if a player is chosen as, you know, in the merchant example, once he was chosen as the OUA MVP, the discussion about is there another better quarterback, pure quarterback in the OUA kind of goes away. And I think that's important and good for us to respect the conference process. 
Um, and, and then, you know, is there, uh, I mean, as this continues to grow and more people have eyes on it and, and debate it, um, do we find a way to bring in um, some outside independent? Like, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's, that, that is ultimately our process is, is to continue to work with the schools that are playing in each of the sports and say, is this working? Is it isn't working? How do we get better at what we're doing? Uh, it, it's a funny thing. You, 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 you do anything you can and you're desperate to try and get people to pay attention to your product. And when they start being attention, paying attention to your product, they're going to debate and, 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 and question and challenge. And, and uh, then you got to deal with that side of it. But that's what we want. We want people to be engaged and interested. Well, you didn't run and hide. You came here and you uh, didn't have anything to do with the voting, but uh, you were the face of it. And I appreciate that. And nobody can say that you didn't step up and talk. So thanks, Pierre. Thanks for your work. Uh, it's, it's a thankless job at times. And we'll talk to you another time, okay? Yeah, no, listen, thanks for all the uh, interest, Mike. I appreciate it. I appreciate that, too. Pierre Arsenault, the president of U Sports, joining us here on the Sports Cage. Uh, when we come back, we're going to hear from Kevin Holness. World Cup Canada won't get out of the group stage. But, uh, hey, uh, they scored a goal. That's a positive. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Andrew Sherrod on 620CKET.com. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Ah, Metallica. Got another tour coming here in 2024. They have some of the great arena songs. This is one of the best arena songs ever, I think. Like, you know, football, hockey. So I, you, you almost want to delay the face-off until, until it gets to this certain part here. Guy skates around. Linesman doesn't drop the puck. Now he does. This is the Sports Cage brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited. And it's time now for a clutch performance brought to you by Emerald Park, or uh, Nick Service in Emerald Park. Your local Massey Ferguson Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer call 781-1077. Our clutch performer is Tanner Howe, who turned 17 today at the Regina Pats. Seven points, five goals, and two assists over his last two games, helping the Pats get off to a great start uh, in their uh, BC journey as they open up with a 3 nothing win over Vancouver, then outgunned the Victoria Royals. Crown the Royals, as it were, nine to five. Uh, he begins uh, the week ninth place among WHL skaters with thirty-three points. Um, so there you go, and he's got the most points for players not eligible for the draft until twenty twenty-four. Let's head out in the Western Pizza Hotline. Speak with our soccer expert, local soccer coach, uh, former national team member Kevin Holness. He joined us last week. Well, it didn't turn out the way we wanted, uh, Kevin. But speaking of clutch performers, Alfonso Davies gets our fir- uh, first World Cup goal. That was pretty cool. It was unbelievable. It was a historic moment in the the first minute of the game. Canada had it had us believing for for ten minutes, and then. It was a Croatian masterclass ballsy after that. Yeah, no kidding. And, and a lot of people are making uh, uh, making um, light or making making a point of what uh, John Herdman said about uh, Croatia in his pump-up speech after they lost that close game to Belgium. And, oh, you got what even the Croatians, oh, who effed who up? And I was, you know what? I don't think that had anything to do with it. I, I really don't. You've played. Do you think it had anything to do with it? Absolutely not. I think if you if you need words at that stage, at that level, to perform and and excel on the the highest stage for soccer, then pick up a different sport. I think it added a little bit more edge to the game. I think uh, Croatia 
after the fact, they, their, their quality was just uh, second to none. It, it showed why they were uh, in the final uh, in the previous World Cup. It yeah. was just yeah, unbelievable yeah, to watch. It's, it's a good point, Kevin. They were in the final. Bottom line is Canada isn't there yet. That's the bottom line. Yeah, and we have to accept it. I think uh, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of people say, hey, let's be proud of the boys for, for getting there. And I think we are. But when you're there, you're there to compete. You're not there to get the, the Cinderella Award and, and the Congeniality Award. Ballsy, I think the boys uh, in Belgium came out flying. It was their first game in the World Cup. Uh, they caught Belgium on a, on a huge surprise. And then, like I said, the first 10 minutes against Croatia, it was, it was phenomenal. And they allowed Croatia to settle in. And experience took over after that. Yeah, and it's funny when you get into high level sports like that, and that would be the highest level in that sport, the World Cup. Like I said last week, you can get mentally fatigued. So you're rolling, you're feeling great, and then you have one letdown, Belgium scores, and then you're like, oh, this might be tough. And then all of a sudden you get out of that and you, you score the first goal, all of a sudden Croatia scores, and then all of a sudden you kind of settle back to reality a bit. Absolutely. I think Canada should have stuck to their game plan. Made, make Croatia uncomfortable, play the run-and-gun style of soccer with the athleticism that that team was built around throughout the, the, the CONCACAF and go after them. Uh, I felt it was, a, me personally, felt it was a mistake to, to sit back. But saying that, Croatia forced their hand. They knew what uh, Canada's approach would be. Again, they used their experience to, to capitalize on that. And, man, it was as a coach and a, and a spectator secondary to, to watch Croatia's uh, tactical performance was phenomenal you know what i like i don't know what your style is i'm not a soccer guy so i don't really have a style but in sports i like somebody that goes for trick plays for checking not the trap style in hockey i really like herdman's style of having his team go after it it was kind of surprising they didn't go after it uh like you said more consistently but i do like the go after it style Absolutely, and I think he has the, the squad of players to do that. They, they achieved their birth into the World Cup based on those premises. It was just, uh, you know what, they were just outmatched. And what I love from the Canadian team is that from the first whistle to the last whistle, uh, all those boys gave it everything. They never gave up, regardless of the score. They, they still showed a lot of pride, and mm-hmm. at the end, the better team won. So uh, what do you want to see in this Morocco game? I do. Morocco, Morocco, similar to, to Canada, with a little bit more uh, uh, tenacity, I would say, watching them over the last couple of games. I, I think it's going to be a, a back-and-forth battle. If I was to sell a, a game of soccer for all you non-soccer fans, it would be this game. Uh, Canada has an opportunity, again, to, to uh, set history, come out with a win, and I think it would be a, a bigger game than what people are expecting. Yeah, uh, I, I hope they do go after it. I mean, you got nothing to lose. It's your last game on the world stage for another four years. Let's empty the tank and have some fun with this one. 100%, and I think that's been the sentiment, even from speaking to, to former players and and guys affiliated with the team, I believe that's the mindset and uh, we can't hope for anything less than a win and I know the boys are going to go after it. It'll be another game, amazing game to watch. Now Canada's out, Kevin Holness. Who do you think's going to win this thing? You know, I'm a, I'm a Brazil fan from day one. The, the powerhouses of, of soccer, the Brazil, the France, uh, Germany, those type of uh, countries are always going to be in the, in the final eight from my perspective, but Growing up in Jamaica, I don't know, it was a big thing to support Brazil, and I've always supported Brazil, and 
with Canada being out, that's my team moving forward. Okay, good. Uh, and one last comment, Kevin. Uh, how about? And we'll get you on more. I love your. Uh, I love your uh, candidness here. How about? Ronaldo, the first guy to uh, score a goal in five different World Cups. That's cool. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, Ronaldo doesn't look like a 37-year-old. When you, when you look at him, his, his play isn't the same as it was four or five years ago. But, man, he's Ronaldo. He, he'll find a way. His team rallies around him. The game plan is, is suited towards Ronaldo. Uh, his, his team isolates him by delivering the balls and, and, and making runs. It's, it's a tremendous feat for a guy, especially at uh, this level and, and the age that he is. Kevin, thanks for your time, and I hope we can call on you again as the World Cup goes along here. I appreciate it, Balzi. And it's great. It's unbelievable that Balzi is watching soccer. This is even yeah. just as monumental, so I appreciate the support. Yeah. Are you not kidding, Thank man? You. I'm not going to sit here and tell you. I'm, you know who's a big soccer fan? This will make you smile like a butcher's dog. So I raised my kid. I raise my kids, obviously, uh, not solely. Uh, their mom did too, but we're like we were our football fan, right? Like my son's a football fan, absolutely, a North American football fan. But my son is a big soccer fan. He actually, I I, I phoned him the other day, Facetime him. He's like, "Yeah, I'm watching soccer." I said, "There's an NFL game on." He goes, "Yeah, I know. I'm watching <laughs> soccer." Think about Brilliant. that. Think about that, Kevin. My kids watching soccer. He's a great kid, Bozzy. You give him a hug for me. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Take care, man. See you, buddy. All right. Take care. Uh, when we come back, we'll get to Perry and Regina. We'll also get a hold of Glenn Suter. That was the great Kevin Holness, a local soccer guy, former national team member. Uh, he's uh, real good as our expert. It's, it's nice to get a guy that knows soccer and can talk about it. Uh, this is the Sports Cage for Andrew Shared Limited on 620. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Got a great caller on the phone being very patient. Let's head out on this uh, Monday for Andrew Shared Limited, Western Pizza Hotline. Perry and Regina want to talk Vanier Cup. Go ahead, Perry. Hey, Baldy, how you doing? Good, man. What's up? What's up? I just wanted to bring up a point. In 2011, we went to the Great Cup in Vancouver, mm-hmm. and we were... It was great. We got to see the Vanier Cup on the Friday night, and it was great. Like, why doesn't the CFL team up with them and make it an all-Canadian weekend? Well, I can't. This is one time I can't jump on the CFL. I can't jump on the CFL here because, and hey, I love the CFL, but here's the thing. The Vanier Cup was in 2011. It was a great event. Our own our buddy Jim Mullen, who's the president of Football Canada, was instrumental in that one. That was the greatest one ever with the overtime game. Then the next year, in 2012, they had it again before the Grey Cup. Uh, Toronto was the biggest attended game ever. And then the U Sports decided to break away from that. It wasn't the CFL. It was U Sports. Now, I don't know. they got to get back on the same page. I heard people say, well, they couldn't have had it this year in Regina because not enough hotel rooms. Well, you could have had it in Saskatoon and had a football weekend. Like, you have to, we have to have it on the same weekend. It's absolutely ridiculous that our last game on the calendar isn't our pro game. It's our our U Sports game. I think it should be together, like you said, Perry. Uh, we need to start celebrating it. And I don't know, did, when you bought on there, did they give you a discounted price for that ticket for that game? Do you remember? 
Yes, they did. Yeah. Like, why not? Hey, you bought yourself a $300 grade cup ticket, uh, uh, and you get uh, a Vanier cup ticket thrown in, or $25 to the, of the ticket goes to the Vanier cup. Now then U Sports gets money. Like, there's got to be a way. There is not, not there's got to be a way. There is a way. You just got to think about it, put the work in, and do it. That, and communication's a key, too. I agree 100%, Baldy. I won't keep you anymore, but great show. Love it. Thanks, Barry. I appreciate you listening to the show. Keep the calls coming. I love talking to people. That's the that's the thing I miss the most about doing the rider games. I don't get to do the call-in shows much, uh, you know, but you can call every day. Uh, 936-6262-1866-767-0620. Hey, can you, uh, you got the intro there? Let's go to it now. Let's go to this right now. Every time Saskatchewan gets in second or they've been bringing Glenn Suter up on the outside. Sometimes they blitz him, sometimes they don't. But when he's blitzed, he's had success. And it's picked up by Suter. He runs it out of time for press coverage as former writer greats and veteran CFL football broadcaster Glenn Suter shares his unique and passionate perspective about the league we love with Rider Nation. Glenn Suter joining us here on the Western Pizza Hotline. This is a portion of the broadcast brought to you by our friends at Quality Tire with nine locations in Saskatchewan. QualityTire.ca Suits, not going to pick on TSN here, but I am going to bring this up. We need to have the U Sports football on once a week. There, you got to have the game of the week. I'm watching that game on CBC and I'm thinking, this is a federally funded broadcasting giant that doesn't do CFL games anymore. My taxpayer's dollar goes to it. Yours, everybody, Sue, Betty, Frank. Why can't I have a U Sports game of the week on with a credible guy like Mark Lee broadcasting when I can watch World Trampoline or Alpine skiing and stuff? You hit the nail right on the head. It's the only sport in Canada where the athletes are not glorified people are trying to minimize these athletes it's and I'll get to that story in a second but just your thoughts we should be able to have a game of the week yeah well you know first of all you're right and and I thought Perry was bang on as well when he called in to talk about uh, you know U Sports Championship and the Venue Cup being the same weekend as Grey Cup in fact I would extend it if you could go you know, a, a Thursday, Friday with a Saturday off to prepare for, you know, the all of the advertising and things that has to go around the field on Grey Cup Sunday. They might need a full day to do that. And so there might be a logistical uh, hurdle there, but it's it's not one that can't be overcome. So, yes, the, the thought of a Friday night Vanier or even a Saturday early afternoon Vanier and then the the... Uh, Canadian Junior Football Championship the same weekend as well. You know, I mean, you could really do a nice, or even an all-star game if the schedules don't line up, you could really do a nice football celebration throughout the week with with our amateur sports. And and yes, it's for some reason, we don't celebrate our Canadian football players. They're, they are fantastic athletes, as I've said many times, world-class athletes, and yet somehow we want to marginalize them um, and compare them and, and talk about other leagues and other, uh, other players where every other sport at every level, Canadians are always behind their own. And so I, I've just been trying to, you know, curve that narrative a little bit and, and remind people that, you know, these are great athletes in your backyard that are, 
are your neighbors. Now, and, in, you know, now, now in yeah. fairness, Glenn, uh, some of these places do have regional broadcasts. Like, I know you can watch the Can West games if you have SaskTel Max or if you buy the app. But same same principle applies to the Grey Cup on CTV. Some uh, maybe maybe they just want it on TSN because of the subscription thing. That could be the case. But I'm saying you get more eyeballs on your product because everybody gets CBC with their rabbit ears. Like you could have one game a week, and it doesn't have to be Can West. Could be Laurier against Waterloo or whatever. You know what I mean? It, it, yeah, just one yeah. game a week. Let's get it out there. Get people invested. Like like you've always said. All right. So here's something. Mason Nias. Finally, people, other broadcasters are catching on to what this guy here, and I'll brag, I've been saying this for eight years, since he was in grade 10 at Riffle. This dude can play, he can throw the football, bring the guy in. I've told the riders, I've said it all over the airwaves, you and I have talked about it, the riders sign him to the Neglis, so they've got a chance now to negotiate with the guy. Uh, I had one fan go, he's no better than a than a... You know, a fifth-year CIS quarterback, no better than a high school quarterback at Montana, which I just absolutely obliterated the guy on Twitter. And that's where I'm going with this. It's the only sport where we marginalize or minimalize our talent. Like soccer, we have scored one goal at the World Cup. We just had a guest on saying that was monumental. It was symbol. Oh, what a great... What? It was, and I'm not cutting Kevin down, but so why is that okay? Or, or, or the badminton team or this, but those, all oh, the, the football, they can't be that good. They playing in Canada. Yeah. It's just, it, it's, it's really quite, um, you know, hard to understand. It, it really is. And, uh, you know, I, I know there's that big elephant in the NFL that, you know, we sleep beside every, every day. And, and so there is always that comparison in the college football system down south is you know is is fantastic but that doesn't mean your son can't compete or you know Keon Schaefer Baker or Braden Lanius can't compete with those athletes and they can you know sometimes as we've said many times that the the Canadian athlete needs uh, an extra year to to be pro ready because they're a little bit behind when it comes to facilities and things like that in Canada, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate it. We shouldn't be celebrating our athletes and, and showcasing them, um, you know, with as much respect as we would junior hockey players that are coming up through the ranks and become pros. I mean, we are all going to call Connor Bedard a world-class athlete the moment he's drafted. Probably already are calling him that. And yet, you know, he's a kid that grew up in North Van and played his junior hockey in Saskatchewan. And, you know, so it's, it's easy and automatic to celebrate him because of his skill set. Well, why aren't we doing the same with Keon Schaefer-Baker? And, and your, your point about telecasting a game a week, we want to do that. I mean, if, if I went behind the curtain at TSN and talked to our executive producers, we absolutely would love to have a game of the week in U Sports. And, and, you know, for whatever reasons, whether it's U-Sport administration, other networks that have been, you know, looking to, to do a game or U-Sports at one point, and I don't know the details, so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to misrepresent what really happened there. But at some point, U-Sports decided not to go with TSN and wanted to do other things. So, you know, it's, it, it, I know when I talk to my superiors, they would love to, you know, have a game of the week, maybe a rivalry game, you know, U of R versus U of S and, and that kind of deal. Cause they, there's no rivalries across the country, 
And then for the big game, when we do it the same week of Grey Cup, you have our panel. Yes. And I would be involved, and, and Dwayne Ford would be involved, and we would be out there analyzing and discussing U Sports football the day before the Grey Cup as part of our TV package We'd be all involved with that, and that brings national recognition. And share sponsorship, so you wouldn't have to have the big changeover. You have the same broadcast team, so you wouldn't have to have rolling CBC cameras and then TSN cameras. It's right, all right. the same. It makes sense. You just got to get on the same page. Hey, when we come back, I'm going to ask you about something else as it relates to the Canadian athlete, because I, I, I'm I, hearing something else going around, and I've heard it for a, a little while, and I just want to get your thoughts. This is the Sports Cage for our friends at uh, Andrew Shared Limited on 620 C. Is your house. Welcome inside the sports cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Back to the sports cage for Andrew Shared Limited. This sports ticker is brought to you by Bronco Plumbing and Eating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right. 781 2090. There's Monday Night Football. It's going to be the Indianapolis Colts against the Pittsburgh Steelers, two teams under 500. Riders have added former U of S quarterback Mason Nias to their exclusive neg list, something we've been talking about for a long time. NHL tonight, Edmonton hosts Florida, Toronto at Detroit, Tampa at Buffalo, New York, uh, New Jersey at New York Rangers. And uh, we had World Cup soccer. I don't have the scores in front of me. Canada didn't play. They're not getting past the group stage. Uh, but we did have Kevin Holness on. Our soccer expert says he's going with Brazil the rest of the way. All right, let's head back out in the Western Pizza Hotline and talk with Glenn Suter, continuing our conversation, press coverage. A lot of talk is made about uh, the USFL getting ready to fire up. We've got the XFL uh, getting ready to fire up again. And, uh, you know, a chance for those leagues to maybe uh, keep some guys from coming up here to uh, to Canada and that there could be, you know, lack of quality in our league. I don't know if I see that as really going to be a, a big factor. Do you, Glenn? No, not at all. Not at all. I it just to me it's a lazy narrative. It really is. It's it's people that um have been hired to scout talent and um want to add a caveat to their jobs and say, you know, just in case I don't get you a star receiver, <laughs> uh the reason for that is is this is what's going on at other leagues and they're taking and 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 this whole thing about opportunities are easier to the NFL and and all those things, none of that matters. There there are there are thousands of of top quality professional ready football players available to sign, and our league requires at a, in a lot of positions a, a slightly different type of athlete than the NFL does. We have to always keep that in mind too. I mean. We're looking for way more little returners like Mario Alford. We're looking for guys like that. The NFL is not necessarily looking for guys like that. Our, our quarterback search includes good athletes. It's starting to more and more with Patrick Mahomes and guys like that in the NFL. But, you know, they, they'd still rather for a lot of those teams have the six foot four pocket guy like Tom Brady. So. Yeah, I, I, it's it's not a thing. Well, don't, don't and, even don't and, even look at it. Hey, and, and Glenn, let's not uh, let's not uh, forget that uh, the quarterbacks that come up here would not make the same money down in the states. They're not getting paid three four hundred thousand dollars in the USFL or the no, XFL. No, and, no, and you know, and and hey, like when we bring money into it, it it 
it changes the dynamic. I mean, there's not going to be in some of those leagues, including the XFL, there will not be a players union. Mm-hmm. So, you know, their quarterbacks may make decent money, but the rest of the team will not. It's sort of like MLS soccer in a little in a lot of ways where you know, in the MLS, there's a there's a million dollar player, but there's also a whole bunch of twenty five thousand. And again, we don't hear those narratives. I, I loved your point on on soccer and how, you know, and I, I I love it because this is what I've been fighting for is that this soccer narrative for everyone in our country, including me and everybody else over this World Cup, has been. In the first game, we lost one nothing to Belgium. It was, we belong, you should be proud, this is fantastic, what a great game. They had them right there, they had chances. And then the next game, we lose 4-1, and the narrative is, we, have, we scored a goal. Holy, we scored a goal, fantastic, it's great, it's fantastic, don't worry about it, we're out of the tournament, but don't worry, we scored a goal, it's huge, it's great. It's, that's what I mean about messaging. Mm-hmm. Take take that take that philosophy and apply it to Canadian football at all levels. So you're going to have about two thirty to answer this. It's a text I've been holding since Great Cup week. I haven't got to it. Okay, now Stuart yeah. Stuart from Davidson, would Glenn Suter ever be interested in becoming commissioner of the CFL? I think he'd be great at it, and so do many fans I talk to. Although we'd miss him in the broadcast booth. Now I don't expect you to talk about a man, uh, uh, another man's job per se, because Randy's got the job. But my question to you is this. Wouldn't, isn't there a part of you that would like to get up there and just to see? Cause it seems like it's so hard. Like we're always talking about the things we can do better in the league. And it seemed, you know, uh, we're not as far ahead as maybe we should be. Wouldn't you like to be in that chair just to see what it would be like? Get behind the, the, the big door, sit in the big chair, see if you could do it. Isn't there a part of you that eventually if it came open, you'd be interested in doing that? Well, if, if it ever did, I, you know, I am always interested in, in doing whatever I can do to help grow the game of football in our country. And I don't mean just the business of the Canadian Football League, but to grow the game at all levels in our country. And so I, I believe the responsibility of the guy in charge of the Canadian Football League is sort of the, the tip of the mountain when it comes to growing the game overall and taking care of the details. Now, you know, let's, let's be fair that until you walk a mile in someone else's shoes, you don't know all the responsibilities and all that is, you know, involved with that role. And I, and I don't think anyone who hasn't sat in the chair doesn't know, including me. I, you know, I've been close to the game for a long, long time, close to a lot of different commissioners. So you understand the basics but until you're in it, you really don't know how challenging it is. I think it's a tremendous responsibility um, if you ever are sitting in that chair. And to me, it would be, A, knowing what you don't know and hiring accordingly. So I'm not an accountant. That's someone I'd have to have beside me. But knowing what you don't know and then working on every little detail from the foundation up and then the big things will take care of themselves more viewers more tickets sold you know bigger corporate involvement all of that sells to me when you build your foundation and work on every little detail through football ops all the way up and make it the most entertaining product you can so yeah to answer your question i'd always be interested um i want to grow the game 
And, and, and this has been a good discussion in that regard from top to bottom, including you sports. Glenn, thanks for your time. I'll tell you what, you've been so good. I'm giving you tomorrow off. I'm going to have you on Thursday. How does that sound? <laughs> that's, that sounds good. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Thanks for your time. Yeah. That's Glenn Suter, press coverage, uh, joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. When we come back, we are going to hear from Coach Craig Dickinson taking your calls and texts at 936-6262 as uh, he talks about, let's get to the bottom. Where are they at with this OC search? Uh, you're listening to the Sports Cage on 620 CK. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. This is the Craig Dickinson Show, our weekly chat with the writer's bench boss about the latest news from the locker room. It's the only place where Dickie takes questions from Rider Nation. And this is the Craig Dickinson Show on uh, Monday, uh, each Monday of the week, and it's brought to you by our friends at McDougal Auctioneers. Coach, how are you? You done Christmas shopping yet? Are you? Uh, have you? Have you? Have you uh, kicked the tires on a bunch of uh, OCs? I guess is what I should ask you. Yeah, no Christmas shopping in the traditional sense, but we are certainly looking at a lot of people for the offensive coordinator job. I've visited with three of them so far. I've got two more to do. Um, in the next few days, and then we'll try to get uh, get the ball rolling sometime midweek and, and start making decisions. Because once you once you hire that guy, then the other positions they fall into place after that. Now, Mark didn't give me too much, but we are friends. Mark Mueller said he did have an interview with you guys. He said it was a very pleasant conversation and something that he enjoyed. Uh, the, the interview process is good both ways, isn't it? Good for you and good for uh, a guy going through the process. Yeah, it's really, he did a nice job, by the way. You could tell he's very well prepared, um, you know, and very knowledgeable. And I think it is good because what it allows us to do when we're interviewing is see how other teams do things. You know, I, I just think when you operate in a bubble, you don't get a perspective on what other, other people do or other organizations do. So we had the whole crew in there, myself, Jeremy, uh, Kyle Carson, Coach Majeri, anybody that was in town sat in on that interview and, I, I just think it's very good for for us to see how other teams do things, other organizations do things, and then uh, and then it gives him obviously a chance to to show what he knows and to show what sort of leadership capabilities he has. So I thought it was a win win really with all all three candidates that we brought in to interview. Can you tell? Uh, just speaking of Mark, can you tell without going into it? Can you tell that the guy's been uh, around football his whole life? Yeah, he's got a very high football IQ. You can just see it right away when you start visiting with him. Um, you know, and it comes across, you know, and, he, and he's been with my brother for eight years now, and, and, and Calgary's got a good system in place. And so all that stuff came through really, really clear within the interview. Hey, do you have a basic set of questions for each guy, or does it vary to, uh, you know, to each guy? We actually have, uh, we had four sheets of paper that I emailed them in advance. It kind of, I, I, it was the direction I wanted to go with the interview, but, but each interview kind of takes on a life of its own based on where the conversation goes. Um, but they are similar questions. You know, some will be a little different based on circumstance and work and who the guy is. But for the most part, you want to just know um, a general philosophy that they have and what an offense is going to look like under their direction. So, 
And then from that point, Michael, it can go a lot of different ways. Yeah, so uh, thanks for taking us behind the scenes here because it's real interesting, at least to me, a football nerd. So, like, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, when they do the NFL draft, I don't know if it's the same with the CFL draft, but you bring in uh, a player and you, you roll some tape and you let, you know, the, for instance, a quarterback. Here, What do you see here? What do you see there? Is there any film work with prospective coaches in terms of uh, maybe what they bring to the table or what you uh, uh, put on the board visually, so to speak? Yep. Yep. We'll show film. I mean, if, if it's a, if it's a game that, that, uh, we did it with two of the three candidates where we showed some film. Um, if it's a game where they, they, they played exceptionally well, we want them to take us through the calls and, and what, you know, what they're teaching, the progression of what they're doing. So, I mean, if you have time, you want to do as much film as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did that with a couple of them. We didn't do it with all of them, but anytime you, it's just more information, Michael, anytime you can get, more information from coaches or, or from who you're visiting with, it's always good. Okay, so I want to talk. We touch a bit about it uh, during the year, but let's talk about uh, you had Kean Schaefer Baker, I guess, worked down in Jacksonville, and he can go do that. He is back with you if nothing happens there. What did you see from his game uh, this year, and what do you what do you uh, like maybe going forward? Uh, you know, provided he's back with you. Sure, I, I just thought Kean Schaefer Baker really took a big step from year one to year two. He was good year one, and then year two, I just felt like he. He grew into his role even more. Um, we featured him a lot more. And what you saw, I think, in year two was an ability to run after the catch. And because of that, we brought him back into the backfield and handed him, handed him the ball a couple of times. Um, he just he just grew. You know, he, he went from, from a 7 out of 10 to an 8.5 eight out of 10 in year two. And we're hoping he can take another step in year three. Um, he showed toughness, I thought, Michael, because he wasn't – 100% healthy, especially near the end, but he just kept playing through it and, and moving. So um, I saw big growth from Kean Schaefer-Baker, and if he keeps growing, I I think you're going to see a lot a lot of good football from him in the future. And I know I think Justin McKinnis is a free agent, uh, whether he gets the free agency or not, who knows. But what what did you see from him? I thought, you know, he did battle through some injuries, as you discussed on the show previously, but I, I did see some flashes where I'm thinking, okay, maybe that's why they took him so high. Yeah, I think you saw just enough. You know, you saw you saw a guy that can stretch the field, a guy that's strong with his hands. The main thing with Justin is we just got to get him healthy, and I think I think he knows that as well. So you know, I think that is going to be his focus this off season is how do I train and train my body right so that I can play a full schedule. You know, he's only got a few games in the year before, and then this year he's probably fifty fifty in terms of games. We got to. Just get him training and get that body right so that he can play, you know, 15 to 18 games because he's got a lot of ability and he's tough and um, he's a smart kid too. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's got a bright future. The main thing, he's got to stay healthy and that, you know, that's, that's part of being a pro, so he's going to have to figure that out a little bit in the offseason on his own, but we sure like him. Very uh, very interesting for Lenius, right? Like, he had a less than remarkable start to his rider career, seemed to take things seriously, had a great year, then had to put on weight to go to the NFL, then comes back. Um, but are you starting to see that maybe he's starting to get there there towards the end of the year? Yeah, I do. I, I just think he's always been kind of, in between, like, what do you want? You know, and probably not sure what the coaches want from him. You want me to be a little bigger and, and play box, you know, box sort of assignments and help in the run game, or you want me to lose weight and be a receiver? I know after year one, we told him drop weight, become a receiver, and I think you saw what that what that allowed him to do. And then, of course, he gets the NFL look, and they want him to get bigger, so he puts on weight again. So I think next year you're going to see a very focused. 
uh, Braden Lenny yesterday. The guy that comes into camp in good shape. He's very intelligent. Got great hands. Yeah. Uh, I think he's going to have a big year next year. I really do. Hey, did Roland Milligan surprise you? Did he surprise you? Because uh, I know uh, the year before he came in, and I think he played some linebacker, not so much in the secondary. Did he surprise you at uh, his ability to adjust and do that thing out there? You know, Roland, not really, because we saw it in practice right from the get-go. So now, now it was nice to be able to see it translate and continue in the games. But that's a guy we brought in a year ago on on that late PR edition that was just a stud right from the moment he walked in, and you could just see it. We did one on ones with him, and he was locking dudes down. And we just figured, like, okay, let's let's see if he can continue this against you know against starters in this league, and he was able to. So I wasn't surprised, Michael. He's an NFL guy. He's got three or four years in the NFL, not just being in the NFL, but actually playing. So he's a good football player, and and, and we knew if he was in shape, he was going to be pretty good. Now people are often the glasses half uh, empty when you're coming off a season like this. But you talk about the NFL. My eyeballs kind of perked up there when I saw uh, Patassi, the guy, uh, the Tennessee third rounder, 6'6", over 300 uh, pounds. Uh, what, what, did, what is Jeremy, what are the personnel people like about this guy from what you know? Yeah, he's, you know, he's got a, a nice pedigree. You know, he's, he certainly was was a high NFL draft choice, and they don't take him high unless they got something to him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in terms of size and athleticism, he's, he's one of, I think, seven or eight boys in his family, so he's obviously probably pretty tough when you're fighting all those brothers, <laughs> to, you know, to get in line at the, at the dinner table. Um, I haven't seen a lot of tape on him. I just know our focus this year as a, as a, as a personnel staff from what I've been told and what, what the conversations have been is let's fi- sign as many good tackles as we can and try to get better there because we, we all know that was an area we struggled in and we're going to work really hard to try to improve that spot. Coach, I've been asked this a lot, so I'm going to ask you. Um, he's been kicking around town. He was helping out the Regina Rams. I know during the year you said, hey, we did reach out. I'm talking about Brett Jones. This guy has lots of, I think he has lots of gas left in the tank, but from your discussions, does he, does he want to play football anymore? That's what people are asking me. You know, I don't know. I don't know the guy. I mean, I just know him from when he played in Calgary. I know he's he's been kicking around town. Um, we're gonna we're gonna certainly not leave any stone unturned. I can promise you that. Um, and I do believe Jeremy. You know, Jeremy's gonna 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 go there if he hasn't already and see what he's doing because he's proven football player with ties to the community. And uh, and still young, so he'd be a good one if he's still interested in playing for sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk uh, uh, briefly about a couple of other linemen. Your thoughts on the development of Logan Furlan, who was your offensive lineman of the year? I thought uh, in a year that wasn't great on the O line, he he had his uh, he had his moments. I thought he was uh, probably your most consistent performer. Yeah, he's a good young player. What do you like about Logan? Is he's so strong and physical. Um, he's a little bit like a bull in a china shop sometimes because he's a little over aggressive to the point he gets out of position. But you do like his aggressiveness. He's strong as an ox. He's a hard worker. He's in the in the facility early each morning. So, you know, I think for a guy coming up from the junior ranks, really first year starting full time this mm-hmm. year, he did a great he did a great job. And what about? Um, what, I, and I think he's got a, a, a bright future. And what about Bandy? Bandy's a guy that got thrown into the fire. It's never easy to replace the center, Dan Clark, and you know, right? right basically, he's a rookie coming in there. Yeah. Your, your thoughts yeah, yeah. on your thoughts on Bandy? I thought Bandy's. You know, he he showed well for himself. He got nothing to be ashamed of. I thought he came in, did a nice job. He's 
he's got to get a little stronger. Um, he's still a little bit light, and uh, guys can push him back. But he's smart. He, uh, you know, he's got some toughness to him. He comes from a good program over there in Calgary, the UFC. And I thought he did a nice job getting thrown into the fire there with at a position where, you know, you've got a lot on your plate as a center. You got to identify who the mic is, and you got to tell the linemen where they're going to slide to and where their eyes are. So. Done a nice job, you know. Ideally, you'd like to get him get him a year or two before you start him, but because of injury and circumstance, we had to start him this year. And I thought he did all right. He did did enough to help us win for sure. We had we had some of our best running games when he was in the game. So, but you know, it didn't uh, it didn't translate into a playoff spot, obviously. But uh, something like that could bode well for this year. You know, where, where he's a sixth lineman, or he or he comes in uh, when he's needed, just to kind of continue to let him develop. He's kind of ahead of the curve now, wouldn't he be? Oh yeah, yeah. As long as he keeps training and, and getting stronger and and working hard, he's got a, he's got a future in this league. There's no doubt about it. Is that is that kind of the thing that uh, when guys say they l- got to learn to be a pro, it's a taking care of their body and and a lot of that is working out. Maybe take it to the next level. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, it becomes a professional football player. It's a twelve month a year job, and and as soon as you wrap your head around that, that's when you usually see guys have. Of success, you know the guys that that still think it's a seasonal job usually aren't ready when camp starts and something happens and they end up getting hurt. So when you when you can see a guy start to figure out, pro football is twelve months a year. Train when you when you need to train, get your mind right during the season, and uh, take care of your body during the season as well. I think that's when you see growth. And I think our guys, for the most part, uh, are on board. I, that offensive line, I know we struggled at times, but it was a good group in terms of. Work ethic, um, care for each other. I mean, it, it kind of snowballed on us, but the character in that room is calm. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. All right, welcome back to the Sports Cage, brought to you by my friends over there at uh, Andrew Sheridan Limited, providing. HVAC plumbing and irrigation supplies across Western Canada since 1892. Learn more at Sherrod.com. Keep the text coming, 936-6262. Our text line powered by Capital Ford Lincoln at the corner of Rochdale and Pasqua. And the Craig Dickinson Show brought to you by McDougal Auctioneers. Get fair market value for your assets with an online auction through McDougal Auctioneers. McDougalAuctions.com. I want to ask you about three more guys before I let you go. Let's go with Evan Johnson. Would it be fair to say uh, maybe expected a little bit more from him? Hey, we picked him one game as our offensive game star. We don't do that much with offensive linemen. So I'm not going to say he was he was uh, awful or anything like that. But I, uh, through my eyes in the broadcast booth, maybe he hasn't uh, met expectations. Or am I off base with that? I think he had a better year maybe than people thought. Um, he didn't dominate people, and maybe that's where you get it. But, you know, he was between his guy and the, and the quarterback for the most part, and I felt like he did a good job in the run game. Um, I think he played better as the season went on. I thought his best games were near the end of the year. Um, so, I don't know. I, 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 it's You know, it's tough. I'm not an expert on O-line play. I see their grades each week, and I watch – who gives up the pressures and what have you. And I didn't feel like he was he was the culprit on a lot of that stuff, but he didn't stand out either. So yeah. um, as an offensive lineman, I don't know if that's good or bad. I think sometimes um, 
Sometimes they get a bad rap, you know, if their group gives up a lot of sacks, and I think that might be the case for them. Well, I, and, I, and I said this on the broadcast with me not being an O-lineman or even close to uh, knowing what the O-line do, but I, I thought maybe he tried to overcompensate. You had, a, you had a struggle at right tackle for a lot of times, and then you didn't have Dan Clark, so you had the, uh, young Logan Bandy, so maybe he was trying to do too much, or, or maybe he was doing his thing, but it looked like he wasn't doing his thing. Maybe. You know, the one thing, we didn't do a good job of picking up twists. You know, any sort of movement inside where guys were, were switching gaps and some guy would go first and the next guy go second, wrap around. We weren't great at that. And that's where your guards and centers are involved mostly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that's, that's something we're going to work on in this off season. Hopefully get better at next year. But really, I mean... Everything like the old saying, right? It's never as bad and never as good. Yeah. I don't think the line was as bad as people said. I really think there's there's a few things we can do. Got to get better tackle. There's no question. But I thought our inside three, we're good enough to win with those guys. All right, fair enough, Coach. And lastly, uh, what are the uh, prospects of Micah Tights? It was the uh, season-long groin injury after he had a great year the year before. Yeah, we're really that hurt us losing Micah, you know, and uh, – Hopefully he's he's able to come back next year full speed, ready to go. He had a he had a labrum uh, issue, a, a tear in his in, in his hip there. That it was a groin, but it was a groin plus some other stuff. And so he got it fixed. He got it surgically repaired, and we were hoping to get him back for the last six games of the year. But he never felt like he had the the, the explosiveness and the push off that he wanted. So he went back and and visited with the doctors. They gave him a little a little um, cortisone shot that helps settle things down a little bit. And hopefully he'll be able to train this offseason and come back next year full speed because losing him really did put a dent in what we wanted to do on defense. Well, okay, last coach. lastly, Coach, now this isn't about you. This is as a team. Uh, organizationally, what did you learn after this year, like maybe in terms of structurally, how you got to go going forward? Like what would, be your, what would be your focus this year once you get the coaching in place? What's your focus in terms of areas that you need to bolster here? I, th- I think I need to, I mean, I think organizationally from just an overall standpoint, we need to really do, I think, a better job of, communicating with the players each and every week exactly what we need to do. I think I think we did that, but I think maybe it was on day three, and I think I've got to get it going earlier earlier with them. That's the one thing I that kept coming up in end-of-the-year exit meetings is the players felt like, you know, at times they were just, they were just um, you know, in their groups, but maybe not as focused as they need to be, and I think I can help, help uh, basically uh, cultivate that by having – having some key points early in the week, each week where we're going to do this, that, and the other thing. And, and also just having in general, this is what the writer, writer football is all about and making sure guys, guys compete to that level. Guys hold up that yeah. standard. Um, I think that's going to be the main thing. Sometimes you assume that they know, um, and you assume they know cause you put it up on the wall or something, but I think I got to make a point of really emphasizing this is the way we do things and let's make sure we do it on a day to day basis and I think if we do that, hopefully it'll carry over and we'll we'll have a better yeah, season. I'm glad you brought that up because that that's how I that's how I feel. I, I I you know people say oh maybe Dickie isn't hard enough on the guys. I think you listen. I've heard you are hard. I heard you do get mad. You do. Uh, you're like what the hell are you guys doing? But. Maybe you gave them a little bit longer of a leash in the sense that you assumed that they were, you know what I mean? Like you just alluded to, maybe you got to tighten the leash a little bit, so to speak. I, I might, you know, we had a good, like some good veterans, 
And I was hoping that, you know, through the veterans, the message would be would be relayed. But I think I got to just take a little more active role. You know, the one thing I learned uh, in Oakland with Tom Cable, who I think still to this day, one of my mentors, one outstanding football coach uh, when I was with the Raiders mm-hmm. in Oakland, he said, the players will go where we want them to, but we got to take them there and we got to do it every single day. And I think that's that's something I've got to do a better job of. I've got to. We've got to decide where do we want to go, and, and and the players need to take us there. But I need to lead that, and our position coaches then need to follow, and uh, and and take that same message into their small groups. And we got to just pound it like every day. We got to say what we want to do for this week or what we want to do for these six games. And I think I think sometimes I I might have got caught up in the details of practice a little more instead of the big pictures. So here's where we want to go. Here's how we're going to do it, and just. Just just hit it every single day to the point where they're almost sick of me saying it so uh, so that it gets through. Well, life's all about learning, right? And if you learn from a down year and you, and you get better, that's what it's all about, right? Even as a coach going into his fifth year or whatever it is. Absolutely. You know, and I'm excited. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm still in town. Uh, we've been working, Jeremy and I, and, and Kyle Carson's in town, and a couple of the coaches are still here. And we've been working every day. And, uh, and we're excited about what this next year is. It holds for us. I know this. We, none of us felt satisfied with, with what happened in 2022, and we're we're working our butts off to try to make sure 2023 is better. And it's been an exciting kind of recharge. I, great, great cup. I had a ball going to it, but now it's time that we get going on 2023, and we're all excited to do it. Uh, I, I'm going to squeeze one more in here. So, is it? it do, do you uh, do you start working not on a speech, but on your uh, motto for the season about right now? Like, are you starting to formulate some thoughts on what that first message will be at training camp, or does that you wait till you know what team you have in that locker room? Say mid February, March. Yeah, yeah, I'll wait a little bit, but you know what you want to do. It's just a matter now how do how do you phrase it and how do you. How do you how do you emphasize it on a week to week basis? But you know we already know pretty much what what we want in terms of our focus during training camp. We got to wait and see who we have. I mean, there's going to be a lot of priority stuff going on with free agents. But we're also, I mean, that's part of what goes into who we're going after in free agency. What sort of guys do we want? What are the three or four qualities? That's what we met on yesterday as a staff. What are the three or four qualities we want? in guys that are going to play for the Rough Riders. And it's when you do exercises like that, you end up improving the room just by improving the, the character of the guys you're going after. And I think, I think the more we can do that as a staff and verbalize that to each other and reinforce that, I think the better. So I'm excited about where we're going in 23. We, it's going to be hard. Every team's doing the same thing we are, but we're we're getting a nice start on the season, and I think we're on on a good track right now. Coach, I always love uh, my chats to you. Thanks for your time. Have yourself a good rest of the week. Okay. Thank you, my man. Take care. Dot com. The kings of Saskatchewan sports talk. This is the Sports Cage on six twenty CKRM. Welcome back to the Sports Cage for Andrew Shared Limited, corner of 12th and Rose in downtown Regina. Getting set for some Monday night football tonight, Indianapolis Colts 
And the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, former Hamilton Tiger Cat Canadian Nikolai Kalinic is going to line up as tight end for Jeff Saturday and the Colts. Let us head out in the Western Pizza Hotline. Each Monday we talk with this guy, our friend Tyrone Poole, two-time Super Bowl champ, former uh, starting defensive back in an NFL secondary for 12 straight years. How are you, my friend? I am doing awesome, Michael. Hope everybody is doing well, all of my Canadian friends. And also, Michael, I want to say this real quick. December the 6th, everybody write this down on your calendar right now. Mm -hmm. December the 6th, I will find out if I made it to the Hall of Fame Black College football hbcu so nice. everybody keep pulling for me so oh for next, sure. next week next monday i guess after the six yeah you guys will be listening to a hall of famer that'd be awesome man that'd be great uh, um did you ever think back in the day though when you first started in this game that you'd reach the heights you did do you have to pinch yourself at times you you, you do you do you know every every person grows up uh looking at something on television that someone else was doing and that became like your superstar, your idol, your you're like, Man, I would love to do what they're doing and I just remember myself uh taking my T shirts and I would write my favorite player's name on the back and, and scribble the number on the front and back and go outside and play with my friends and and yeah, uh years and years later I'm playing against guys that I looked at on television and said, whoa, did you see that touchdown Jerry Rice made? Did you see how uh, whoever, you know, Brett Favre, you know, I'm like, wow, now I'm on the same field as these guys. So, yeah, man, it's a dream come true. But it's hard work, hard work and talent. So I don't know that you remember the exact situation but do you, or the exact – how do I put this? You probably don't remember who you signed the autograph for, but do you remember the first time as a professional football player you were asked to sign an autograph and how cool that was? <laughs> I think I was like a deer in the headlights, Michael. <laughs> I didn't see nothing but uh, people, arms, reaching out, hey, sign this, and I just grab and sign and try to sign as many people as I could. But it, I do know – it all started when I got drafted. It's, well, you know what? I take that back, Michael. I do remember. Okay. Back when I was in high school, uh, one of my neighborhood friends told me, he says, and he actually showed me the paper. He said, I am going to get you to sign this piece of paper because one day I believe you're going to be playing in the NFL. And I didn't know how to sign like how I sign now. Yeah. So I think I wrote my name legibly. I wrote where you can see Tyrone and Poole. But now I write my name like a doctor uh, scribbling on a piece of paper for a prescription. So yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> but no, man, it's fun. Did you did you practice that? Did you sit down one day and just, okay, I got to learn how to have a yeah. fancy little uh, autograph here. <laughs> and that's another funny story. Yes, I did. Uh, actually, started in college. Uh, when uh, I knew after the uh, Senior Bowl, uh, which is an annual uh, game in Mobile, Alabama, I played in the Senior Bowl. And uh, after the Senior Bowl, it was projected that I was going to be in the first round. And these uh, football card companies started sending me cards. And my agent actually got a deal for me, a card deal. Mm -hmm. And I had to sign 5,000 cards. So I said, wow. you know what? I would be here all night and all day, all month, all year trying to sign these 5,000 cards. So that's how I developed the urgency of writing my name quickly. So uh, wow. you still, you know, identify, but 
that's how it actually started, the well, uniqueness. That's awesome, man. Uh, well, I hope you have some good news for us on December the 6th. I'm looking forward to that. So, Tyrone Poole, um, here's a guy that I think deserves some big-time love that probably doesn't get the love he deserves. T. Higgins, receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. You got Jamar Chase, who is out, and T. Higgins has really picked up the slack. He was instrumental in their big road victory over Tennessee, which I think really sets them on the right path now towards the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. You know, whenever you have a guy like Jamar Chase, you always got to have that Batman and that Robin, right? You always got to have a Batman and Robin. I haven't seen that one team in any sport that did not have the Batman but then had the Robin. But Robin was just as important as Batman. So, uh, (laughs) again, T. Higgins, uh, great job, seven catches, 114 yards, averaging 16-3 a catch. So, Yes, when your Batman is injured for some reason, then your your Robin steps up and uh, T. Higgins, that's what he did. So lucky for Joe Burrow. Joe Joe Burrow has two receivers that he can throw to and a nightmare for a defensive coordinator. Who are you going to double? Yeah. So when you get a, you know, when you get a, a different coach and a different regime come in, I think guys can get nervous. You know, I'm not that guy's pick. I'm not, you know, they don't, you know, I'm not that guy's choice. You look at Josh Jacobs. The Raiders didn't pick up his fifth year option. And this dude, since week four, has 174 rushes for 967 yards and nine touchdowns. And he also has 33 grabs for 266. He was on fire yesterday. 86-yard touchdown in overtime. But how about the stiff arm one? Cutting in and out. He tried every move on that play. Yeah, and I, I you kind of tipped my head a little bit for the work that thing uh, player. But, uh, you know, uh, Josh Jacobs, he was doing this last year. He was doing this last year. And sometimes when you are playing for a contract, you tend to put everything behind it. Unlike most players, when they get that big contract, you kind of see them kind of like telling it off a little bit. Hey, I got that big contract. Let me kind of pull back. So what you're seeing is Josh Jacob performing. He's performing and let everybody know, hey, I am the best. And when I say he's the best, he's the leading rusher in the NFL. Uh, Derrick Henry, we all know big Derrick, Derrick Henry, the stiff arm. But Derrick Henry has 247 attempts to Josh Jacobs. 216, and Josh Jacob is still outrushing him by over 100-something yards. So uh, give a few more carries to Josh Jacob, and this guy actually would have more yards. So Josh Jacob is making a statement. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, let's do it early. We do it late, but let's do it early because you mentioned a work-that-thing player. You're making him your work-that-thing player. Tell us what that's all about. Well, the work-that-thing player is just a player that goes beyond what is expected overcomes obstacles, overcomes whatever hinders that person to help the team win by having a phenomenal performance. And uh, Josh Jacob, he is my guy. He's my guy. He actually put up some phenomenal numbers, uh, had 33 carries. 33 carries. That's a lot of carries for a Oh, yeah. 229 yards. But get this. Get this point. Averaging 6.9 a carry. Get his guy the ball two times, it's a first down. 
Just talk about from a defensive standpoint how that can break the will of a defense. Because I watch my Chargers too. They give up a lot of balls, a lot of uh, carries on the ground, a lot of yards on the ground. Uh, um, they found a way to get it done. The Chargers did. But just talk about how that can just wear down a defense with regards to running the ball like that. Six, seven yards a chunk. And, and not only just wear down the defense physically, but it wears down the defense mentally. And, and, and what do I say mentally? Now, we all know physically you're going to get tired. You get tired. But mentally, if you got a guy who carries a heavy load and he's bringing it and he's having that he has so much energy going behind his runs, then, yes, mentally you're like, I don't want to tackle this guy. Got the last time he rung my bell. What's that song? Ring my bell. <laughs> no, you don't want to go against a running back who's ringing your bell all day. Actually, you want to ring the bell and say, hey, can we get into another defense because this guy is really making my shoulders sore. So mm-hmm. uh, it's tough on the defense when you get a running back who can really get behind his shoulder pads and he's having fun that day. Who was that for you? Who was that for? Was it Eddie George? Who was it for you? A Jerome Bettis. Ooh, the bus. Yeah. But, yeah, the bus go rolling. Sometimes you got to flatten the tires on that bus early before it get to rolling. Because once that bus get to rolling and it picks up a load of people, a load of confidence, then, man, look at here. It's interesting because I watched that Bengals uh, a Titans game a little bit, and you talked about big Derrick Henry. Like, he is a load, but the keys to get him right before he gets rolling down the hill, you saw Hilton come around the corner a couple of times. He's a safety about a buck 85, a buck 86, uh, 5'9, and he chopped down the big tree right at the base there a couple of times. Yeah, you know, the trick to that is the trick again, like you, I guess, how, how can I just explain it? Guerrilla warfare. Everybody's heard of guerrilla warfare. Basically, you're taking their weakness and you're using your strength. You're using your strength against their weakness. So when you are tackling a taller guy, you know the guy can only get down so low. So you tackle the ankles, tackle the ankles, and grab a leg, and then trip the other leg up, he's coming down. So really, it's technique. It's knowing when to go down towards the knees. Most guys, they go down too late and they allow the running back, the ball carrier, to see them going down, and then that's when the ball carrier can get down lower, as they say, the lower man wins, get down lower than the defender, and boom, make sure you know he's trucking him. This is the two-time Super Bowl champ Tyrone Poole, about to be a Hall of Famer. Can't wait to have that announcement soon. We'll be back with more in a moment. It's the Sports Cage for our friends at Andrew Shared Limited on 620 CK. Extra. You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the Sports Cage, continuing our great uh, weekly Monday talk with Tyrone Poole, 12 years in the NFL, starting in a secondary for various teams, two-time Super Bowl champ with the New England Patriots. All right, so Justin Herbert of the Chargers, 6 of 7 while on the run. He had 66 yards passing in that category and two touchdowns. And with his three touchdown passes and their comeback win over the Cardinals, he officially threw the second most touchdown passes in a player's first three seasons in NFL history, only trailing Dan Marino. I put Dan Marino at the top of the heap. I have a tough time comparing these stats uh, Tyrone, don't get me wrong. I think Herbert's a great player, but back when Marino played, guys could jump on guys and tackle guys, and there was no such thing as pass interference. Uh, now the rules are uh, slanted against the defense. How do you feel? No, I agree with you one 
thousand percent, Michael. When I look at the quarterbacks, and that's why I always say, and I've said I'll continue to say this, playing the game, knowing the game, basically I got a MBA in playing professional football, playing football, period. And the rules have allowed these quarterbacks, nothing against these quarterbacks, you know, I, I love them. I love them. Hey, you play in the area that you play in. But I always say, man, what would Dan Marino, I love Dan Marino too, what would Dan Marino do in this era, even if he had Mark Clayton and Mark Duper, what would those guys do in today's defenseless rules of the game? So, yeah, Justin Hubbard, you know, he's uh, doing what he's doing in this particular uh fan of the NFL and the rules. So, you know, he has a lot more uh, years to play. I just hope that he doesn't do like Dan Marino. Uh, Dan got to one Super Bowl and never went back again. So, really, if you erase Dan Marino's rookie year, the guy never played in the Super Bowl. So, I just hope that Justin Herbert has an opportunity to play in multiple Super Bowls because at the end of the day, that unless you have a great season, like just great individually all throughout your career, quarterbacks get measured by Super Bowls that they win. Yeah, so I want to ask you that. Does that validate, does that make your career, does that give you career validation? Like would Tyrone Poole have been any better or worse of a player if he didn't win two Super Bowls? I mean, you played on an expansion team, so there was growing pains there, even though you guys were pretty good right out of the chute. You played not just played, you started in the NFL on the corner and then to safety, I believe. 12 years in the NFL, a lot of running, a lot of miles on those feet. But would your career have been considered as good if you didn't win two championships? You know, I'm going to answer that question in an analogy. You can have a great suit on. It could be great material. The shirt is silky soft. The suit is just clinging to the body. But without the tie, the tie just brings in that extra, like, whoa. So I think winning championships brings in that extra, whoa. Now, I think if Dan Marino, we talked about Dan Marino. Now, let's just think if Dan Marino had won six Super Bowls with the numbers that he was throwing. Super Bowls are the tie. So he basically would have probably gone down as the best ever quarterback to ever play the game, but because he did not win those Super Bowls, his ability to throw the ball, that's the suit, that's the shirt, still matches, but just think if he had won those Super Bowls, now he would have had the tie to go with the suit, and he would have been probably arguably the best ever. So yes, I do believe winning the Super Bowls does and has given me separation from my other peers. Good point. Tyrone Poole joining us here. Back to Herbert for a second. You know, I like I said, I am a Chargers fan, so I go on a couple of their chat things and just watch and read some of these people's comments. And, you know, one thing I, I heard, uh, not yesterday, but in the past, oh, boy, he's really regressed. Dude is playing with basically broken ribs, a broken rib cartilage. Like, if, if you sneeze with something like that, you feel it for two hours. This guy's playing NFL football. And yeah, I know, Tyrone, there are drugs for that. But NFL football with basically broken ribs, and he's the quarterback. And he's not exactly playing behind the 1995-96 San Francisco 49ers offensive line. So what he's doing, regardless of the rules, is pretty remarkable. Uh, Again, the guy's 6'6". 6'6", 236. 
He's the first round pick, six overall. So there's going to come a lot of expectations. But what fans, those who truly need to understand the game more, need to know this is a simple statement. Rome wasn't built in a day. And like you said, you have to have the consistency of the guys around you. Now, for the Chargers to still be where they are, to still be where they are, they are still in, I would consider, playoff contention. Uh, yep. they, uh, even though they are 6-5, and five, they're right behind the New England Patriots at 6-5. and five. He's still doing a job, a great job. They got the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, uh, so next game. So, again, uh, this guy, he's doing, I think, what he's supposed to be doing. You know, you talk about uh, work that thing, player. One guy I wanted to put towards your submission here is Max Crosby. Everybody else on the Raiders has one sack. He has ten sacks. Like, that is, that's quite a discrepancy, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. Anytime you can have a playmaker, someone that can really get to that quarterback, like we said, you and I talking about the rules, how the rules have changed, you got to have that guy. You got to have that guy, and he is that guy guy. Okay, so Tyrone, we got two minutes left. You're a big motivational guy, supplements, all that type of stuff. We got a lot, a lot of young. Our our university college season just ended. Uh, my son's down south just ended. They lost in the playoffs. Let's give me a piece of advice for that guy who's in the offseason getting ready, or girl getting ready for their sport in the offseason. Well, um, what I would say, time. Time. Time is the best thing that I could have ever learned. I could have ever gotten wisdom about. And what do I mean by time? Time allows you to do whatever needs to be done to make yourself better. You can look at the past, and that was a time. Study the past. You look at the present, that is a time. Study the present. And then everything you do past, present, is going to go towards your future, which is another time. So the great thing that I've learned during the off-season, I had an opportunity to go back and use time. Let me look at the past. Let me do inventory. Let me study myself. Now, when the present comes and it's time for me to get back out there, I'm able to prepare, my uh, uh, strengthen up, build up my weaknesses so I can prepare for my future. So basically, time. Whenever something is over, utilize the time to look back on your past to prepare you uh, for the present so you can have a great future. So that's what I would say. All right, man. That's a good little snippet, but we can get more from Tyrone Poole. How do we go about doing that, man? Man, Michael, anybody wants to be motivated, you want to be motivated, go to the next level, not only physically but mentally. Physicallyworkthatthing.com, supplementation. Mentally, you want to get stimulated mentally, I stimulate you with the best of it with information. Go to TyronePool38.com. TyronePool38.com. Get me there. Get me there. And I'm telling you, I have you ready to run through a brick wall. Let's go, baby. Let's work that thing. All right, man. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you next Monday, you Hall of Famer. Thank you, Michael. Hey, I received that, man. Awesome, man. Take care. All right, when we come back, we'll hear from Mike Kelly of the NHL Network, and we'll uh, hear from Pierre Arsenault once again, our chat earlier with the commissioner of U Sports. This is the Sports Cage for our friends at Andrews Share Limited on 620 C. I love the smell of my pump in the morning. This is where the fun begins. I don't want to game another yard. 
Welcome back to the show, downtown Regina. We're coming to you live wherever you're listening, however you're listening. Thanks for making us part of your day. I am Michael Ball, host of the Sports Cage, voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Looking forward to a very busy and fun off season as the Riders try to right the wrong of the 2022 year. The Vanier Cup just wrapped up last weekend. It's funny. It's good to see that finally uh, a lot of media guys... Getting on board locally here. Oh, now they're on the Mason Nias train. Eight years too late, fellas. <laughs> oh, I really hope this guy gets a shot. Oh, why haven't they signed this guy? I've been on this guy's... I've been like his agent since grade 10. Mason Nias. I told he'd be good. And hopefully he gets a legitimate shot. He's on the rider's neg list, okay? Got absolutely ripped off at the, at the uh, Heck Crichton Trophy Award down south. Or down uh, east, pardon me. Here's a guy, 18 touchdowns, 3 interceptions, averaged 340 a game passing. And yes, Kevin Mattel, receiver for Laval, looked pretty good in the game. Had a touchdown pass, actually, in the game. But in the regular season, he had 12 touchdowns, 10 in 3 games. He um, averaged under 100 yards a game receiving. About 8 catches a game, 90 yards. 8 catches a game, 90 yards a game. Not bad. 12 touchdowns are nice. Not Nias-like, but he gets the award, not Nias. Crazy, man. The narrative changes every year. So I thought, hey, let's try it as best we can. I reached out to the uh, U-Sports president, Pierre Arsenault, to see if I could get to the bottom of it. Now, he said he'd get somebody on the show for me. In fairness to him, probably a lot of people were too scared to come on the show. It, you know, Nobody ever questions these guys or girls about their, their backdoor weird voting ways. So at least Pierre Arsenault decided to be a man, show some leadership, and show up here on the show to answer the questions as best he could. Once again, the U Sports Commissioner or President has nothing to do with the voting, but he did answer us earlier, and here's a snippet of that conversation. I respect all student-athletes. I have a son that's going through it right now down south. Uh, regardless if you're down south or up here in Canada, these kids, these guys, these girls, whatever sport, they put a lot of time and effort into it. So I respect all the athletes. So kudos to Kevin Mattel for what he did. He showed he showed in the game he's a great athlete and worthy of the heck Crichton. But as a commissioner who has nothing to do with the voting, you're not in charge of this. Do you not find it interesting that a guy who has way better stats, like it's not even close in the regular season, isn't your your Heck Crichton Trophy winner? Like, one guy averaged 340 yards passing a game. One other guy didn't have 100 yards receiving. Now, he did have 12 touchdowns, which is great for a receiver. I'll admit that. But the other guy... The other guy had 18 touchdowns and three interceptions. I don't understand how that guy isn't considered your best player. Do you not find that interesting, sitting in the big chair? Well, I mean, what I, what I would say, first of all, is, is I, I had the good fortune of the last two weeks. I was at the UTEC Bowl and then I was at the Daniel. And so I watched Mason Nias directly, uh, you know, out close and personal the last two weeks. And I, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's a very impressive young man. I had the chance just very, very quickly to 
to meet him. He seems like modest, hardworking, and and uh, and Coach Flory and 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 the entire Saskatchewan program and Shannon Chin with Chief uh, Athletic Administrator Officer. They, they they built something really really good and sustainable and very impressive and, and tons to be proud of. And 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 we're very proud and fortunate of 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 their story because it it, it strengthens our football story and. You know, and then you get in, whenever you're going through these award processes, it's funny, you're doing this great thing to celebrate accomplishment, and almost always there's there's a part of it coming out the other side where you're dealing with the hard emotions of, um, because we had to pick a winner, it seems to, um, in a way, be almost dismissive of, of accomplishments of, of other student-athletes or, 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 you know, other pieces, and so... Yeah, I, I don't. I, I for sure. I think that that Mason is very impressive. Had a wonderful season. I, my understanding through the process is that the voting was very close for the High Brighton, um, which again is a testament to all the, the nominees. And and then you know they go through looking at stats. They go through uh, video submissions and and. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I think as we saw on Saturday, Natal, and, and you said it, and I appreciate you saying that, like, no, no, don't take anything away from him. I mean, he's pretty legitimate. And, and uh, um, But I, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm easy to jump on with celebrating how, how good that season was, for sure. Yeah, okay. So I just want to ask, who, like, who, do they have an independent committee that votes on things like this or the first team, the first team all-star? Because, listen, you're not, you guys aren't in a silo when it comes to this. We just went through this at the CFL level where Mario Alford is the outstanding special teams player in the CFL at Grey Cup Week, he's announced, but yet he's not a West All-Star. It makes a guy scratch his head, and it leads to conspiracy theories. When you have the guy who is up for the heck Crichton, your only quarterback up for the heck Crichton, but he's not a first-team All-Star quarterback, I would be like, who's voting on this? And are there two different committees? And can they not put their heads together? To kind of, it just it it, it kind of reeks like what is going on here. That's how I look at it. No, I, I appreciate that, and so I'll just quickly walk through the process, and we can talk yeah, about sure. the emotion as well. Like that. So, so the the selections are done by a committee of eight. There's two reps from each of the four conferences, and and the reps ultimately come from coaches from our 27-member institutions. So every conference is represented by two coaches um, from their conference that go and do the voting. The voting processes are different for each of the awards. And so the four Huckwright nominees are the four conference all-stars in each of the four conferences. Um, and they would go through a process and choose the winner there. Then they would go through a second process where you have the list of nominees for the All-Canadians and and, um, and they would make their decision. Now, I, I, it totally makes sense where you're coming from and, and I would say that that often travels together, that if you're a Heck Crichton nominee, you're probably going to find yourself certainly as an All-Canadian, which Mason was, um, but often as first team at your position. Um, you know, in this instance, the two, the two All-Canadian quarterbacks, like the Val quarterback and, and Saskatchewan quarterback, and one threw for 340 yards on Saturday the other through, I think, for 390. So they, they, they certainly showed that they, they, they both are the belong and are the right choices. And, and you know, I, 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 we, we've gone through different iterations because every sport has its own voting process that is some version of similar. And you've gone through different iterations where you can say, well, the, the player of the year nominees have to be first team all Canadians. But, you know, then, then you can get into the debate where someone says, well, 
You know, it's possible that you are deemed to be the most valuable to your team, but you're not deemed to be the absolute best at your position uh, when it's just a pure discussion about your position. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I again, I, I think you're, 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 you're talking about a choice amongst two really good choices and a whole bunch of really good choices across all these positions. And, and uh, I greatly, I, I freely accept the debate about whether or not that this is, you know, whether or not people agree or disagree. Yeah, no, and any talk about uh, something that doesn't get talked about enough, in my opinion, is the way to go. I mean, I, I'm passionate about it, and I'm asking questions because I uh, I actually care about youth sports, and I don't know that we have enough people on board caring about youth sports. Henceforth, people are now just getting on the Mason Nias train, something we've been talking about around here for eight years. Now everybody's getting on it because it's kind of like the, the flavor of the month. My question to you is this, okay? You know, would there be a way to get an independent committee to look at something like this going forward? Because the narrative always changes. Like a few years ago, it was... You know, Chris Merchant got it. Uh, he wasn't even the best quarterback stats-wise in his conference, whereas Adam Mackard had a unbelievable... Listen, I have no dog in the fight. In fact, I'm a, Pierre, I'm a Rams guy. I'm not even a Husky guy. But uh, yeah. Mackard had a record-setting uh, year. He was lights out, never had a fumble, average eight yards a carry, and they gave it to Merchant, and Merchant wasn't even the best quarterback in his conference. And what I heard then from a lot of people is, well, it was... a is a career award, you know, it's a career accomplishment. It's a, okay, so if that's the case, uh, like, where I'm going with this, shouldn't we have an independent committee? Shouldn't we have a set guideline of criteria? I don't care who the best pro prospect is. It's who's the best player that year right there. That's what I say because it's, the, the, the goalpost always seems to move, and that's where it gets frustrating for me. Yeah, I, I, I mean, so I, I would start with what you said a second ago, which is, is like, I, I'm, I think it's a really good thing for our product and for, for you sports that people are debating this because it means you do care about it. And even though sometimes the conversation is a little bit uncomfortable for us, it, it's a really positive thing. So I, I, I really appreciate that, that you are telling the story of you sports and that you are um, challenging and talking about this. I mean, it's, it's, it's good for, for our game and for our student athletes. Um, I, I think for sure, I, I, I feel, I, I mean, personally, I feel good about the fact that the Heck Creighton process and our, and our player of the year process is respect. Uh, it starts by respecting who the player of the year in each conference was and mm-hmm. was chosen. And, and therefore, if a player is chosen as, you know, in the merchant example, once he was chosen as the OUA MVP, the discussion about is there another better quarterback, pure quarterback in the OUA kind of goes away. And I think that's important and good for us to respect the conference process. Um, and, and then, you know, in their, uh, I, I mean, as this continues to grow and more people have eyes on it and, and debate it, um, do we find a way to bring in um, some outside independent? Like, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's, that, that is ultimately – our process is to continue to work with the schools that are playing in each of the sports and say, is this working? Is it isn't working? How do we get better at what we're doing? Uh, it, it's a funny thing. You, 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 you do anything you can and you're desperate to try and get people to pay attention to your product. And when they start being attention, paying attention to your product, they're going to debate and, 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 and question and challenge and, and uh, then you got to deal with that side of it. But that's what we want. We want people to be engaged and interested. Well, you didn't run and hide. You came here and you uh, didn't have anything to do with the voting, but uh, you were the face of it, and I appreciate that, and nobody can say that you didn't step up and talk. So thanks, Pierre. Thanks for your work. Uh, it's, it's a thankless job at times, and we'll talk to you another time, okay? Yeah, no, listen, thanks for all the uh, interest, Michael. 
Sports Cage is your locker room pass. We're talking riders on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Here with the NHL Network's Mike Kelly. Mike, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Let's start here. I think the surprise early has been the Seattle Kraken. Is it more a um, strength of schedule thing, or are you buying what they're selling right now? No, oh, no, I'm buying Kraken stock. I'm uh, I'm good. It's uh, they, they played well, and, you know, they're on a big heater right now. They're one five in a row and, uh, and have been better for even longer than that. So I, I think they're a legit playoff team. I, I don't know that they are the 690 winning or points percentage they have now type of team, but I'm confident they're a playoff team. And they're, you know, their offense has gotten better this year. They bring in... Bjorkstrand, Burakovsky, and Beneers is a star in the making. And Martin Jones has been an incredible surprise in that, and that's what sunk them last year uh, as goaltending, and they've got it right now. So I think they're a legit playoff team. Glad you brought up Jones because at your uh, Twitter handle, uh, you had uh, quality starts, and he's in the top three, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, exactly. And that's just looking at goalies who finish a game with uh, a positive goal saved above expected. So you factor in shot quality as well as uh, you know just going beyond the save percentage of a goalie, um, and he's been he's been good. So he's been pretty consistent for them. Um, you know, a little bit down, but uh, recently, but he's been pretty consistent for them, and he's won them some games too. So that was you know last year. Seattle's an expansion team. They didn't have a great record. People dump on them, and it's kind of easy to look at the surface and say, oh yeah, well they're new and they're not good. Um, they had trouble scoring, but they were actually pretty good defensively most of the year. And their goalies just torpedoed them any chance they had of being respectable. So um, with that improved, it's not surprising to see them taking positive strides, although they're doing better than I thought they would be at this point. You know, you had uh, Peke Rene for a long time there in uh, in Nashville, uh, but they've uh, they've landed nicely on their skate, so to speak, in Nashville with Soros as the goalie. Yeah, no kidding. It must be nice, right? And then, you know, I think about a team like the Rangers, too, who just transition right from the King into Shesterkin. Um uh, There's a lot of teams that have not had solid goaltending for many, many years. So, it's uh, yeah, Nashville, he's, he's still the, the star of the team. And you, know, you go back to last year and think about the success that team had, and Yossi was a huge part of it in 90-plus points, and Duchesne, 40 goals, and Johansson, a great year, too. But none of it happens without Saros, who uh, is a great story, I think, for smaller goalies out there trying to, you know, live a dream of playing in the NHL one day. And, um they get missed sometimes, not because they're not good enough, just because they don't pass that test of being 6'2 plus. Uh, he's a great story for any young goalie. So uh, Rick Bonus has done a great job with the Winnipeg Jets, as we expect with a, with a guy with a proven track record. But let's be honest, it's a lot easier when you have a Vezina goalie. If there's one guy that is the uh, anchor for a team in net, it's Connor Hellebuck. Yeah, no kidding. Hellebuck, we've seen him play at this level before. He's won a Vezina trophy like you talk about. Um, and he's having a really, really good year for them. So the, the Jets, to me, at the start of the year, were one of those funny teams where you just look at them on paper and you think, yeah, yeah this should be a playoff team, of course. Um, but they've had their struggles. And then, you know, Nick Ehlers goes out at the start of the, near the start of the season, and that is such a huge loss. He is, he's one of the most dynamic skating forwards in the league, playmakers who can score, um, probably underrated league-wide, but, man, is he ever good. And they lose him, and I think, okay, this is a team that could be in some big trouble here. But uh, they're rolling along, 13-6-1. They're playing great. Um, the offense has been 
good um, in terms of the chances of creating, not just the goals have been good. And, you know, the big thing for the Jets that I, I thought, and it's true this year, if they could just go from being one of the worst defensive teams in the league, which they've been over the last several years, to just being average, Hellebuck will take you the rest of the way in terms of goals against. And he's done exactly that this year. And I give credit to the Winnipeg defense, though. Um, you know, they still give up a lot in transition off the rush, but you cycle chances against them and in-zone kind of offense it's really hard for teams to create against them. That's been a huge improvement for them this year. Speaking of the Jets, I was watching one of their games on home ice, and Carolina pulled the goalie five minutes to go and with a goalie pulled. Oh. Three three goals to force overtime. Now, Winnipeg won. But you, at your Twitter handle, at Mike Kelly NHL, you were talking about this on the NHL Network, about pulling the goalie. What, what have you found with regards to that? Yeah, so that game was crazy, um, and it wasn't. It, it didn't happen in that game. But you know, the point that I was making about pulling goalies, everybody talks about when when should you do it, um, and that's a great debate. My point was more about how you do it. And when I when I notice teams pulling goalies, sometimes you'll see them break the puck out of their zone, and the goalie will just kind of hang back and hang back. And once they've dumped it in, or once they've got it into the offensive zone, then they go to the bench. And my point was. You get the goalie out at the start of your breakout. Just hang back a bit. Let him go to the bench. Get your extra guy on the ice. And now he can be a part of your entry and your recovery. And I showed some clips, and there's a lot of them where when that guy's late getting off the bench because the goalie doesn't go right away, he can't be involved in trying to get the puck back to help you get set up. And what happens often is the defensive team will get the puck because you can't outnumber them on that battle. And they'll clear it down the ice or they will score into the empty net. And you don't even have a chance to tie the game at that point. The game's over. So that was my point. I, I talked to a couple of coaches about it as well before I, I took it to air because I wanted to get their thoughts on, you know, why isn't this something being done more often? And um, most of the time when I, you know, take it to the people in the game, they'll give me a good reason and why I'm crazy and it can't be done. But <laughs> in, in this example... Um, you know, one of the coaches said, you know what, I'd, I'd never thought about it, but it makes sense and something I'll look to do. Well, Mike, uh, you're self-deprecating, but you uh, you do an excellent job uh, bringing the numbers to life and making people think. That's why I love having you on the show. You know, it's funny about pulling the goalie. Back in the day, it was like, okay, you know, about a minute and a half, a minute, like you said. Now it's no big deal. Uh, you know, three minutes to go, you're down three to one. Let's pull the goalie, see if we, we, we can't get back in the game, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in analytics and all that. And some people listening might probably think, I think you're down a goal. You should pull the goalie with like half a period left, but um, (laughs) I'm not that crazy. I don't think that I, but I do think though, where we've seen a shift is that um, if you're down a couple guys will pull a goalie with four minutes left, five minutes left, even if you're down a couple goals, because who cares if the other team scores at that point and you know, the score gets run up, a loss is a loss and a win is a win. And it doesn't matter if you get a couple empty netters against you and you lose 5-1. Who cares? Uh, give yourself a chance to win the game. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, you also at, uh, at your Twitter handle there, you're talking about uh, there are 49 lines with at least 100 minutes played at 5-on-5, five five, and this certain Vancouver line is kicking some butt. Tell us about it. Yeah, sure. All right. I think one of those things that might surprise some people, it surprised me when I was first looking at this about a week ago, and they've stayed hot, but... The Pedersen, Kuzmenko, Mikhaev line in Vancouver is scoring at a higher rate than any other line in the league. So all that means is for every 20 minutes of ice time they play at five on five, they're averaging just over two goals. And that's the best of any line of the most top used lines in the league. So 
You know, last year, the line that outpaced everybody else was the Matthews line in Toronto. Probably doesn't surprise people. It was no. about the same rate. Um, but this line has been outstanding. And what I love about this line is, you know, it's a big reason why Vancouver's starting to put some wins together and, and have some success. Um, but they don't give it all back either. You know, they're a real conscious defensive line. They've, they've only been on for four goals against um, as as a unit. And they're often, you know, with, with Pedersen being such a great two-way player, they're often going up against other top lines as well um, and really tilting the ice in Vancouver's favor. So um, that, that number, that 2.1 goals per 20, is just straight-up offensive production. The fact that they're also used as and a good um, shutdown type line as well uh, just speaks to the overall value they've been bringing. So I, I wanted to give them a little positivity because uh, you know, Vancouver certainly took some lumps at the start of the season, but it's nice to see them turning it around now. Yeah, for sure. And lastly, I'm glad. I know I'm on to the right. I'm a football guy. I do like hockey, but I know I'm on to the right path when I think something and then I look at a guy's uh, comments like yours. I'm like, oh, he sees it the same way I do. Now, I don't watch a lot of New Jersey Devils hockey, but obviously I've watched them a couple of times against the Oilers. Man, they're good at going after the puck. And then when they get the puck, man, they're quick going up the ice. Yeah, are they ever? They're so much fun to watch, and I love when a, a successful team is also a fun team. And it doesn't always happen that way, but uh, they've got young talent that, that's so good. And you know, I go back to the start of the season, and they got off to that zero and two start, the fire Lindy and all that from day one. Uh, then they won a couple, and then they started to win a lot. And you know, I, the crazy thing is, I still hear people now talking about, okay, you know, is this Devils team for real? Of course they're for real. Look at what they're doing. And and it wasn't just the wins because, you know, we can watch Buffalo win a bunch of games, but I can pick that team apart quickly. New Jersey was outplaying their opposition almost every single game through their first 20 games of the season. Like it was not just winning games with the result at the end, but really decisively outplaying your opponent. And that is a great predictor of future success as well. So they kept it humming. Now, now people, we're going to probably start going, okay, well, if they're for real, like how real are they? Are they a legit cup contender? I don't know that I'm there yet, but who wants to play that team in the playoffs? Because they defend maybe even better than they create offense, and they're one of the best in the league at doing that. And so much of it, um, you know, one of the things I pointed out is that they've scored more goals by forcing turnovers than any team in the league. Um, when I looked at that a few days ago, and that's just, you know, good forecheck pressure, good pressure on opponents, and then they have the offensive talent to quick strike and put it in the back of your net. So any team play in New Jersey, and I watched them do this to a team what, last night or the night before, whenever they played last, turnovers at the blue lines, offensive and defensive. Do not commit them against the Devils. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some people might say, well, I don't know about their goaltending. But I do know this, Mike Kelly, if you have the puck and it's in the other team's end and you're getting shots on their goalie, it can't be in your end of the rink. Can't happen. Can't happen. <laughs> and that, that was the biggest thing that I was uh, wondering about as well because last season, you know, goal saved above expected. You want to just try to isolate that goaltending impact. Uh, only Seattle was worse. And so New Jersey, another one of those teams where it's like, what if they just got average goaltending? What would that look like? Well, what if they get good goaltending? This is what that looks like. Yeah, for sure. Hey, this guy is great on the NHL Network. He's great on Twitter, too, at Mike Kelly NHL, and he's good here. We're happy he's here. Thanks for your time, Mike. Hey, my pleasure. All right, man. 
today's sports cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. 620 CKRA.